because who's behind the curtain but our Father? And we don't see Him clearly, we don't understand Him clearly because He is behind this curtain. So we're going to, and I really believe, it came to me yesterday and I was preparing when I was worshiping this morning. I really believe God wants to do something in our hearts this morning. As a revelation, He wants to touch your heart. Whether you are a father or you are a mother or you're male or female or you're not sure what you are, God is your father. And he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to make you whole. We sang about being free. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But it is the revelation of how much God loves you. How much he's for you that will go down deep in your heart and set you free in the deep recesses of your heart where there may be hurt or bondage or just a hole left there. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you today, as we have already for the fathers. But now we turn our attention to our Father, who is in heaven. Lord, we're realizing that we look at you, we communicate you behind this veil, this curtain, which separates this fleshly, natural, sense-ruled realm that we live in all the time with our bodies from the eternal spiritual realm that is more real in which you dwell. And so we're asking you today, as we continue to pull back the curtain and look at what's behind, we can't do that with our eyes, with our ears, or with our understanding. But your word says that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men, all that God has prepared for those who love Him, but they are revealed to us by the Spirit. So your word tells us today, the Holy Spirit wants to reach deep down into the recesses of your heart of love for us and pull out for us an understanding of how much you love us and what you've done for us and open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive it. And this cannot be done by any words of mine. This can only be done by the anointing and the grace of your precious Spirit. So we put ourselves into His hands right now for me to speak and for all of us to listen and to hear. And we thank you in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen. Well, as I've indicated in the prayer, we've been talking for several weeks about looking behind the curtain, that we live in a realm that is the borders of which are governed by our five senses, and it's the life that we normally consider life. It's this worldly life, things we see, feel, touch, hear, smell, and understand with our natural human mind. And what we've been learning is, which we've already known, but we've been focusing in, is that there is a realm out there that is more real, which is, be, which is behind the curtain of our flesh, which is the spirit realm. And out there behind that curtain, there are things going on, there are sp- spirit beings out there, there are angelic beings, there are demonic beings going on, and they are affecting our everyday life to one degree or another. They're, they're behind issues in your family, issues in your body, They're behind issues on your job. They're behind issues in our society today. 
And one of the reasons I believe this is so important is because the church tends to react to the problems of the world, the problems on our job, the problems in our family, the problems in our life, by handling it through, through weapons and through fleshly carnal thinking, ignorant of what's really going on behind it and what's really causing it. And if we don't get to the root of it, we'll never, it'll, it's like cutting the dandelions off and then they keep growing back again and we wonder where, why do the dandelions grow back? Why do these problems keep coming up? Because the root problem has not been dealt with. So we looked at it the first week. We looked at examples of this in the Bible. We saw how Elisha uh, told God to open the eyes of his servant because the servant woke up and the city of Dothan was surrounded by the Assyrian army and the, the, the prophet was not removed because he said to God, open his eyes that he can see. And when God opened the eyes of the servant, he saw that behind the Syrian army, the physical natural army, there was a host of angels out there to protect them and to defend them. We saw that Jesus dealt in some cases with physical ailments with, at the spirit that was at the root of it and cast the demons out in that situation. And then we looked at last week at prayer. We saw what effect does understanding and looking behind the curtain have on prayer. And it has everything to do with it because prayer is a weapon that God's given us to release His power into what's behind, going on behind the curtain and causing that. So today we're going to look at our Father who is behind the curtain and what He wants us to know about Him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. In the Old Testament, it's interesting, I've always, we always think, that, or no, I've always thought that, well, God was not really a Father in the Old Testament, He was just a God. But I began to research that a little bit and found that there are many verses where God calls Him Father. But He was never... He was never in a relationship with the children of Israel that was intimate. He wanted to be. In fact, in the tabernacle in the wilderness where God had Moses set up this way that he could be among them, God had to live in, the, in, a, in one third of a tent behind special curtains and with a whole series of things they had to go through just so on one day a year the high priest could go in there into the physical presence of God to bring an atonement for the people's sins sin of Israel. And we talked a little bit about that last week, about the, the atonement. And so God was the father to them, but more in the sense of issuing life. But there was no intimate relationship. But when Jesus came, one of his purposes was to reveal God, their father, to them. And so I just did, I just did a little bit of research on this. Um, what God wanted to do... You know, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. God, Jesus came to introduce God, the Creator, to them as the Father with, to whom they could draw close. A Father they could turn to for their needs. In other words, He was... God, through Christ, was restoring to mankind the relationship that God originally had with that first couple in the garden where they could walk with Him in the cool of the day and they could be in his presence and commune back and forth with him where he took care of their needs and not only that he blessed them and gave them pleasure to be satisfied with and he wanted to fill their life with all of his richness and goodness God sent Jesus here to begin the process of restoring that relationship with those who would come to him through Christ so I did a little little 
research here. Um, oh, by the way, that's why the religious leaders wanted to kill him. They didn't get offended at his teaching. They got offended that he called God Father. Because you understand that, that although the, the old, there were Old Testament scriptures that referred to him as a father to Israel, they wouldn't pronounce his name. Yahweh, they were, which is our version of Jehovah, they would not pronounce it. So when they got to a prayer where that name was in there, they would beep, flip over it. Because they didn't think they were holy enough to pronounce his name. And they weren't. So when Jesus starts referring to him as his father, they get angry. They call it blasphemy. And that's ultimately what motivated them to want to get rid of him. I look through the book of Matthew. 37 times in the book of Matthew, just in the book of Matthew alone, Jesus refers to God as our father. And if you want to know where they are, download my notes because I printed each one of them out. At the, as an addendum to my notes. In just the Sermon on the Mount, in just the Sermon on the Mount, he refers to our, God as our Father 15 times. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your, your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.48, that you just be perfect just as your, fa- your father. He's not talking about him as our, his father, as their father in heaven. Matthew 6.4, talking about giving. Uh, if you give in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6.6, 6, pray that your father is in secret. He will reward you openly. Matthew 6.8, for your Father knows the things that you need. We'll talk about this later. Before you ask Him, Matthew 6, 9. Pray in this matter. Our Father who is in heaven, Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, Matthew six fifteen. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses if you don't, Matthew six eighteen. To, uh, uh, when you're fasting, but to your Father who's in secret, because your Father in secret will reward you openly, Matthew six twenty six. As you don't be worried because your Father feeds, your Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air that sow and reap. Matthew 6, 32. After all these things the Gentiles seek, but your Heavenly Father knows what you need. Matthew 7, 11, talking about as you, if your fathers, your human fathers who were evil give, knew how to give good gifts to you, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give you th- good things to those who ask? And then finally in Matthew 7.21, He who does the will of my Father in heaven will be blessed. So Jesus is over and over driving home to His disciples who were Jews and to the Jewish people that were gathered around Him, the God who you've worshipped is your Father. He wants you to know Him as your, as your Father. So the God behind the curtain is the almighty God. And we've looked several, several months ago that He is a holy God. Nothing that is not perfectly holy can exist in His presence. That's why Jesus had to give you His righteousness. He didn't take how good you were, and improved on it by getting rid of your problems, Jesus took all of your unrighteousness, paid for it, and then gave you His righteousness. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, which, by the way, he earned by never sinning. Why did he do that? So you could come into the presence of a holy God and live. And live. I mean, not live and live it up. I mean, continue to exist. Because anything that's not perfectly as holy as he is, is immediately dies and is judged on the spot. Because he's perfectly holy. There are scriptures in Isaiah where God says, because he was dealing with their idolatry, how they were worshiping things as their God. He said, I've looked around up here. There's nobody up here but me that's God. So he's almighty. He's all powerful. So how do you approach a God who you know is absolutely almighty and all-powerful and have an intimate relationship with Him. There's a picture. Don't put it up yet. There's a picture that, that came to me while I was studying this that I remembered from years ago that is a great example of this. You, you can put it up now. This is President Kennedy sitting in the chair behind the resolute desk in the most powerful office in the world at the time. And he is the most powerful leader in the world. But under his desk is his little son, John John, who in the midst of all of this pomp and majesty, and all, not magic, all this pomp and all this power and the men that come in there and fear coming in there. He's comfortable under the desk. Why? Because it's his father's office and his father's desk. It's not the president's office to him. It is the president. It's not the president's desk to him, and it is the president's desk, but to him, it's his dad's office and his dad's desk. If you and I were in the White House that day, or even today, you could not just walk into that office. In fact, you couldn't get anywhere near it because of security, and even if you were past the security, because you just, nobody can just come into that office. You have to be invited into that office. And there has to be a purpose for you to be in that office. But John John could come in there because he's coming into his father's office who loves him. And the confidence he has is because his father loves him and he knows his father loves him and he knows he's accepted by his father. So as the result, and I wasn't there, but I can only imagine that the secretaries and the security and all the protections out there just stand aside and he wants to go to his daddy's office. So although God is our creator of the universe, almighty and all-powerful and all-holy, 
here's child. In fact, he's done for you something that President Kennedy didn't do. God, your father, has paid the highest possible price so that you can come into his office. And if you want to climb under his desk, if you want to climb in his lap, the door is open anytime you want to come. There was a picture, which we didn't get to put up, of John John and his sister Caroline dancing in the Oval Office. I've never seen a picture of anybody else dancing in the Oval Office, but they were free as children to express their joy, oh yeah, by being in their daddy's presence. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. You can put the other back up. So what does, what does God intended for a father to be to his children? We're talking about the, God's plan, his ideal. Well, first of all, he's to give them life together with the mother. Life comes from your father. He gives them an identity, a sense of who they are. He gives them their basic needs. Provides their basic needs for them, food, clothing, shelter, and whatever other needs are necessary in order for them to grow up. I'm talking about the ideal, grow up health. This is God's plan. This is God's intention for a father. A father has a responsibility to bring correction and training and discipline. Now, a mother has a role also, but we're talking about the fathers this morning. Father's role is, fathers tend to look beyond the childhood and say, when this child gets to be 15, 16, 17 years old and begin to go out into the world, I'm responsible for making sure they're ready for that. And the world out there, when you skin your knee and get a boo-boo, isn't going to sit you on their lap and kiss your boo-boo. Although that's what they're trying to get us to do. I won't go there this morning. So a father will train and discipline a child as they grow up at whatever the appropriate level is needed to prepare that child to go out or go out into the world. And the father does all these things, even disciplines and trains, because he loves that child. Because he loves that child, a father will do things for that child that the father may not even want to do. There were times I had to discipline our children and I did not want to do it. First, it wasn't convenient. Second, I mean, one time on the way, we were going to Newport for a day at Newport. And one of our children, it wasn't Chris, was acting up. And I said, if you do that one more time, I'm going to spank you. I did spank our children. And they all grew up healthy. None of them were abused. You know one of them. And sure enough, they acted up, and we were somewhere on Route 24 heading south. And now God says, well, What are you going to do now, hotshot? I pulled over on the side of the road. I had him come out, and I administered the blessing of correction. And I did it in the sight of three other children. 
Now they knew God, Dad meant what he said. I did it out of love. I don't want to stop and do that. But when you discipline your children, you're, you're loving them more than you love yourself. When you won't discipline them, you're loving yourself more than them. Now I'm talking about a father. This is a hard, different situation for a mother. I know this is overly simplifying things. More importantly, he gives them a sense of approval. The Bible calls it the blessing, the father's blessing. I approve of you. You're valuable. You have value to me. And he gives them a sense of security, of unconditional love and acceptance. See, children cannot grow up and make mistakes because that's how you learn unless they know that they're loved regardless of whether they make mistakes or not. It's called grace. And the Father sets that tone. All right. Well, let's look at God. Has He done these things? Romans 8.32 He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how so will He not also, together with Him, freely give us all things? God has held nothing back. He's given Himself and everything He has, He's given and pledged to you. The Scriptures go on to say, if God is for us this much, who could possibly be against us? So, these are the things He's given us. I'm going to go back through these same things. Life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life. John 17, 3. It says, And this is eternal life, that you would know Him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom He sent. He's given us identity. Ephesians 3. See if you have that. Here we go. For this reason I bow my knees. This is Paul writing talking about his prayer, before the Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 15, from whom the whole family in heaven, that's already going to heaven, and in earth, is named. So our identity comes from God. Provision. We read some of this earlier. Matthew 6. Just these, these are, this is worthwhile meditating on these. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. In other words, their motive for praying is that others will see how they pray. And we can be careful. We can slip into that. I remember one time I was... We had a prayer on, on Tuesday night and I was supposed to lead it, but for some reason I couldn't. And I asked one of our elders, they're not here anymore, so don't think of any of these elders. And, and I said, yeah, would you do prayer? He said, yes, surely. And I happened to come in near the end of it and he came up to me afterwards and I, he said to me, how did I do? I said, well, we won't know that until we hear, see the answer come, will we? Because you weren't praying for my benefit to see how well you can pray. You were praying to be heard by your father. In fact, Anita was telling me today an example of somebody whose story they told of their... Was it a grandchild? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Rick Renner? No, it doesn't matter. His grandchild came in. He was sick. I know somebody else. Willie George came in. He was laying on a couch with pain. And the child came over and said, take the pain away. Like that. And walked away. And he was healed immediately. See, the heart of a child. The heart of a child went to the father. Keep going. 
Verse 6. But when you pray, so we're supposed to pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who's in secret. Pray to your Father. Relationship. Pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you openly. Verse 7. And when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. People that have no relationship with God as a father will pray based on, they'll think God hears them based on how they pray. Did I kneel? Did I stand? Did I do the right thing? Did I say the right thing? No, God doesn't hear you because of how you pray. He heals you because of your faith in Him as your father. Verse, go ahead. Verse 9. Okay, you don't have that? Maybe I'm, I went too far. Okay, yep. Okay. Woo. Correction. Hebrews 12, verse 5. Oh, Lord. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, the word chasten, that's an old English word, but the word literally means training. It's a Greek word that means training. Don't despise the training of the Lord, nor, or, or, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by Him. For whom the Lord chastens, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. That's a little hard to grasp. What that literally is saying in, in the Greek, if you will allow God to correct you, then you enable Him to deal with you as a father does his son. But if you resist it, if you reject it, then you're not allowing Him to be a father to you in this area. But for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, which all become takers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Verse 9. Furthermore, we have human... I've got to sum it up because we're getting behind time here. He goes on, basically, if you as human fathers, doing the best you can, still were not good compared to God, and you corrected your children, how much more will your heavenly Father correct you because He loves you, because He's trying to produce in you, it says, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So the next thing God does for us is He provides for us His blessing and His approval. Galatians 5, 4, excuse me, Galatians 4. Because you are sons, listen to that carefully. Because you are sons, God has sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts. So the fact that God's Spirit is living in you is evidence that you are His Son into you crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word for Daddy. And we had a, a, a speaker here years ago who was a Christian, raised as a Christian Arab. And he was explaining what this word means. He said, it's hard to understand. He said, in, in, in the Aramaic, it is the cry of a child, like in a crib. Cry of a child that's in trouble, that their father or mother can't... Can't sleep. I remember when our children would get an earache or something, we couldn't sleep because you hear them crying out, you're moved, you have to do something. That's what that word Abba means. Keep going. Therefore, you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then you're an heir of God through 
through Christ Jesus. Let's go down to um, uh, Matthew 3.16. This is the scene of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River. And when he'd been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven came saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice the Spirit was given as tangible evidence that the Father was pleased with him as a son. So if God gives you His Spirit, and if you're born again, you have to have it, it's evidence that God's pleased with you. It doesn't mean He's pleased with everything you've done, but He's pleased enough to call you His Son. And the last thing we'll look at is unconditional love, security and unconditional love. 1 John 3. Behold, What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know Him. Stay there. Go back. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The English does not really give you the full import of what the Greek does. The Greek is what this was originally written in. When it says what manner, it says what unique, unusual, and particular manner of love. In other words, it's implying this is not a love you've ever seen before. This is not love. This is a unique kind of love. Behold, look at what unique kind of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And the world doesn't know who you are because it doesn't understand who He is and what He's done for us. What He's done for us. We've got to move on. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4. Just look at this. Take some time in your devotion, to just read this through slowly and speak it to yourself. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Just as He chose us in Him. He chose you. And it's not as if we fooled Him. It's not as if He doesn't know what you did in third grade. It doesn't as if he didn't know what you... He doesn't, it's not like he doesn't know your thoughts. He knows more about you than you know, and he chose you to be his child. My parents didn't choose me. They didn't pick me out among a bunch of them. Don't look at me like that. Yours didn't choose you either. <laughs> Unless you were adopted. And if you were adopted, they chose you. They may not know everything about you, but they chose you. That we should be holy and without blame before Him, before Him in love. Go to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at this in the Amplified. Move down to Ephesians 2. The verses before this says, but you were dead, we were all dead in our sins. We were dead. We were no hope 
of being in a relationship with God. In fact, we were doomed to hell. But God, this is the Amplified, so rich is He in His mercy. Look at this. Because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which He loved us. What motivated Him to send His Son to the earth? What motivated Him to send His Son to the cross? What motivated Him was the great and intense love that He had towards you and me while we were still His enemies. And yet He loved you and me so much. Would He love us less now? No, the Bible says He didn't in Romans 5. I'm trying to move this along because there's some things we need to do. But here's the problem. Most of these are scriptures you've been around long enough you've heard before. The problem is that what we can see of God behind this curtain is filtered through the understanding we have a father through the relationship we had with our own fathers or some father figures in our life. So the moment you hear the name, the word father, as much as you may know scriptures, down in the recesses of your mind and heart are old hurts, disappointments, memories. In fact, during worship, some of them were coming back to me. And some of them are still in there. And so they restrict us looking behind this curtain and receiving the gift of love, the gift of Father that He was giving to us. Oh, we may do it with our mind. We may be acknowledged God loves us. Oh, God loves us. And I preached this for 30-some years. And there's still things in me that restrict, limit my being able to receive this. Many, some of you had good fathers, but they still lacked all that God wants to give to you. Some of you had absent fathers, and you may say, well, I didn't have a father, but the lack of a father communicates something to you about a father. Some of you may have had fathers who were very physically there, but they weren't present to you. They were in, in, in many generations, fathers were taught, your job is to earn a living, provide a home, and the kids are raised by the mother. You may have had a father who was there, did things, but didn't know how to be intimate or affectionate. Or you may have had an abusive father. But whatever our relationship was, God wants to be a father to you that fills every hole, heals every wound, satisfies every need. He's waiting like the ocean hanging above and wanting to pour down into you. His love, His grace, and His healing, and His acceptance. And this is not just true for the men here, it's true for the women and all of us. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's here this morning. He wants to restore your soul. Nothing, no relationship, no pleasure, no possession, no accomplishment can ever fill that void and heal that hurt. But a living relationship with God your Father 
who loves you unconditionally. Israel fled from him in fear in Exodus chapter 20 because they were afraid they saw the lightnings and the thunders that were the awesome presence of God and they ran away from him and told Moses, you go talk to him and then tell us, God bless you. But as long as we hold on to the hurts and the disappointments and the angers, we will limit our ability to receive him. You see, and this is what... I'm sorry, we may go over a minute. This is so important. If you're here this morning and you have that kind of hurt, and you may, it's maybe so long ago you don't remember. My father passed away 20... Twenty-nine years ago, and in preparing this, things began to come up. I don't have time, or do I really want to go into the details? But my father, my parents were divorced when I was five or six. My father was raised in a very manipulative, controlling family, and as a result, he became manipulative and controlling. And my mother rescued me, and I was scared of my father. He was, he was a brilliant uh, um, uh, businessman. He, he was president of a company, international company, opened horizons around the world for that company, but he didn't know how to relate to people. He certainly didn't know how to relate to a son. I'm the only son he had. I was watching the U.S. Open golf tournament. Remembering back in 1999 when Payne Stewart won it. It always closes on Father's Day. And I was watching it and I was about to send our youngest boys, take them off to college. It was a very emotional time. And at the end, Payne Stewart won this and he was a Christian. He won it and he was sharing about his father. And I'm sitting there and I start weeping. I don't mean tears, I mean losing it. And I don't know why. I said, God, why am I crying like this? Why am I crying like this? And I was, I don't know, 20 years younger, which still makes me old. And all of a sudden, I realized it. The memory of the thing my father taught me that I can remember more than anything else was how to play golf. He didn't know how to be a father, but he was a very good golfer. And on the weekends when I was with him, when it was good weather, he would take me out and teach me how to play golf. And what broke my heart that morning, that day afternoon, what cut through to me was my father taught this to me. I was remembering, as you were sharing something with me the other day, about how when my, my father used to send me a check on my birthday. And the last check I got from him, after he passed away, I wouldn't cash. I hid it away somewhere. I finally did. I probably didn't cash it. It was probably too late. Why? I didn't want to let go of the memory of what he would do for me. I found the other day in a, in a thing where I keep some records, a written list that my father had given to me of how some, he wanted some of his personal property distributed. I've kept it because it is his handwriting. Anita found one from her father yesterday. Why would I do that when I had such a difficult relationship? Because something in me longs still 
for that father to love me, to believe in me. He tried, he just didn't know how. And my wife was very helpful to bring me to the place where I could forgive him and I could understand. I want to help you this morning. If you're here this morning and there's things in your relationship with your father, it may have been a wonderful relationship and that's great, but there may be hurts, disappointments. It's interesting as I talk about it, events come up in my mind that I thought I'd forgotten about because they're still down in there. And God wants to heal them this morning. God wants to pour his love in on that hurt and into that hole. And unless, until you're willing to face it, forgive and allow God to heal, it will affect your relationships with your spouse, your children. This is how it gets passed on from one generation to another. And I vowed this would not get passed on to my children, our children. This is so important. It's more important than anything else we've done today or in a long time. Because I hadn't addressed this and dealt with this, I had situations where there were men in my life that I worked with or worked for that began to fill that, they began to give me that approval, male to male. It was not, not sexual, male to male, just approving me caring about me and it became threatening to my wife and I didn't know why and she finally shared she says you were so drawn to them that I was afraid you'd do whatever they wanted you to do and why would I do that I I got male approval that I did not get from my father so without that you're exposed to influences that the enemy can use so here's what I want to do you need to be honest This is how God works. You need to humble yourself to admit it. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm standing. Thank you. Thank you. God wants to heal you. If you hold on to it out of pride, you're limiting what God's going to do. Yeah, come on up, worship team. There are more of you. I know there are. I know there are more of you. I'm just going to wait a minute. We're going over already. I know that. Here's what I'm going to do. I would have, if it were not COVID and late, I would call you down, but I'm going to do it where you are right now. I'm going to stand here this morning as your father, not your pastor right now, your father. Your father may be like mine, long, long passed away. Or maybe you have a broken relationship and you can't really talk to them. Or even like my father was when he was here, I tried to talk to him about this and he couldn't handle it. It was so disappointing and frustrating. God wants to relieve you of that. But it starts with forgiveness. Everything starts with forgiveness. So I'm going to stand here this morning in the place of your father. 
and I'm going to speak words to you as if I were standing in front of you personally. My child, my daughter, my son, I know I failed you. I know I hurt you in ways I don't even understand. And I know it's caused pain that you've carried around for years. I can't go back and change the past. I can't go and do different on Christmas what I should have done. I can't be there now when I should have been somewhere with you. I can't take back words I've said and things I've done. I, I can't change the past. But this morning, by God's grace, I'm asking you to forgive me. I am sorry that I failed you. I am sorry that I hurt you. I am sorry that I disappointed you. I come here today to give to you the love I can give to you. And I ask you to forgive me by the grace of God. Now, Father, I'm asking you to give everyone standing either here or online the grace to forgive. And I'm going to ask you right now just to say those words. You've got to mean it, though. If you're not ready to, don't do it. And Father, I pray right now for everybody that's standing that you would give them the grace and the strength to forgive and let go that you would do for them what you did for me. You'd give them understanding of why their father was the way he was. And you would give them compassion for their father. In your understanding, that you would help them to see your father, their father through your eyes. And then through the opening that's taken place this morning, that you would pour in through your spirit with the healing balm of your grace and of your love.